Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another episode. It's been a long time coming, but welcome to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and tonight I've got a special guest co-host, um, a new voice for you to get familiar with, uh, so I won't waste any time on that. Um, uh, the gentleman's name is Mark Essenmacher. Mark, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself um, you know, how long you've been watching soccer, how long you've been a United fan, uh, and just some, some of the peripheral details. Cool. No, thanks, Chris. That's, that's, um, I'm honored to be here. So, yeah, no, I started following United um, before they even became a team. I remember the day they announced that the team was coming to Albuquerque. Um, it was a USL team. It was just under the, you know, the generic USL flag. And remember signing up um, for season tickets, I believe it was at a local soccer game. And, you know, we didn't have a coach, we didn't have any players, we didn't have a team name, we had nothing. Uh, but I knew it was something that was going to be special, uh, bought season tickets, and I was just excited for something. Um, it was about the same time we knew that the UNM's program was going to be going away on the men's side. Um, and so I knew Albuquerque was hungry for a team, that they were ready for a team, and, um, you know, I jumped on as soon as I could, so... A little bit about myself. I grew up here in Los Lunas, went to school at, at UNM. And so basically I'm as native as you can get without actually being born in the state. Um, I played soccer as well, you know, since the, about the age of five, um, all through high school, uh, played on club teams after high school. Um, and really, you know, it's been a part of my passion ever since, you know, I was small. I've uh, been a certified referee with AYSO and some other club or organizations, as well as coached. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's, you know, if it's not coaching or being a ref uh, someplace, you know, really, you know, following United is, you know, right there at the top of my list as far as, you know, my passions and just, you know, what, I'm, what I'd like to see is just, you know, the city, the state come together under you know, something that we can really get excited about. Right on, right on. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Mark. And, and right off the bat, maybe I ask you the toughest question of the of the evening is, uh, is United under fire? Are they under fire? I, you know, I, I think that depends on your view. You know, are we going to take the short-term view or the long-term view on United? Um, you know, for me, kind of looking at the way their season has gone, it isn't the season that maybe I expected I wanted. But, you know, we got a lot of tough games out of the way. We're done with um, El Paso. We have one more game against Colorado Springs. Uh, we played Phoenix. And so really, I think, you know, the rest of the season, are, the destiny is in our hands. You know, it's up for grabs, and all we have to do is reach out and take it. 
Yeah, and United's definitely been in a place where where the destiny's been in their hands. I mean, if you go back to like the first season, you know, I mean, it seemed like there was a point when they definitely, you know, it you know, towards the end of the season where you know, all they really needed to do were just win certain games. You know, and it really kind of came down to, you know, falling into the postseason due to, like, the Las Vegas match, you know. And and then last year, you know, obviously half a season, you know, they were definitely striving for that top position, but ended up, you know, pulling the second spot, you know. And essentially, you know, all of that came down to just, you know, not winning matches at the certain time. And then, of course, it was like, okay, well, you know, this is what we're we're left with, and now we're, you know, in the third season, we're kind of in a a similar position um, as probably the first season a little bit. You know, with with these twelve matches left over, and you know, and I, I think the the biggest thing to capture tonight on this episode is like, you know, okay, if if United is not if United's not fully under fire and there are some things they can do to stay out of the hot seat. You know, what are those things, you know, that they can do? Um, what are the things we're observing? And so, you know, let's talk about like the team's latest form right now, Mark. So right now they're currently six, seven and seven. Um, they just came off of a three, two loss to Phoenix last week. Um, you know, on, on the road. Uh, what, tell me like some of your thoughts about that match, you know, as it progressed, like, what did you like about what United was doing in that match? And then where, and then ultimately, like, did you kind of see telltale signs of some of their performance from previous matches in this match? You know, one thing I really liked about the Phoenix match is I felt like, I'm sure it's from the coaches in a schematic uh, type way, but really like the aggression that they showed in the match. Um, they especially came out on fire the first, you know, really 15 minutes of the game, put a lot of pressure on Phoenix. They kind of laid back, but you can't, you can't expend that energy for 90 minutes. Um, and even in the second half too, you know, they had these 10, 15 minute stretches uh, several different times where, they just expended a lot of energy, put a lot of pressure on Phoenix. Um, didn't necessarily get the shots off that I would have wanted, but you know we we had the ball down at the other on the Phoenix's side, um, just creating chances. You know when we look at that second goal that you know Phoenix punched it off their own defender uh, into the back of the net. You know that doesn't happen if you don't put pressure on the other team. So you know for me it's exciting. To see that pressure um it's not necessarily about the shots but it's about that pressure and you know waiting for a mistake to happen and we saw that against phoenix and, and i think if we do the same thing we're going to see success going forward yeah that was interesting in that phoenix match because like you said i mean off the front foot they got that score and you know we we've been seeing united really come out and get that first score in a lot of these matches. And ultimately, you know, that, that has been something that earlier in the season was a challenge was, you know, could they, could they start off on the right foot? And then we watched these two scores kind of come in and, and for the most part, I mean, I was there in person, but it just seems like where things kind of got interesting is Phoenix knew 
that if they could just get enough space between the goalkeeper and the back line that that they really could do like a little damage there and so we we watched like their their holding mids and of course the back line kind of love they were kind of level with each other at some point it just seemed like you know phoenix was able to advance the ball through the midfield and you know, I think we, we've seemed to struggle with really trying to win the ball in the middle most of the time. Right. And kind of as I watch that game, it's like you play the game of what ifs, you know. And what I keep going back to is, you know, what if we had a healthy team? And, you know, for right. me, it's like players have to play and they got to show up game, day in and day out. But like you said, you know, I think we might have some players that are playing slightly out of position, uh, some players that – you know, are basically just not getting the rest that they need at times. Um, and I think, you know, especially when you go into a, a stadium like Phoenix has, um, where they have the fans, they have the energy, and they have a good team. It's how can you exploit, you know, the weaknesses that your opponents have? And I really felt like they honed in well on, you know, where we're at as a team. Um, not playing at 100%, not having all the confidence that we could have at times. And really in the second half, I think, like you said, you know, they found that space. And once they found it once or twice, they just kept going back and doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And you, you kind of do capture a couple things too. I mean, not being 100% healthy. Um, we've had some guys out, right? Kalen Ryden was out. Has been out for the last couple of matches. He came back in the second half. So, you know, and of course, like, you know, I'm sure for him getting his first time out there, I'm sure, you know, it wouldn't be like, like pristine, like it's been. Um, and then, you know, guys playing in different spots. You know, I, I started to really wonder, and I don't, is like, um, and, I, and I don't know if you have the same wonder, but it's like, you know, as we start bringing back guys, you know, from the previous seasons, like, does this three-five-two still really work in a way that it's supposed to, or do we? I mean, because we were in a three-four-three for the most part, but I mean, do we have to kind of start thinking about four-two-three ones when we play against teams that have a lot of pace? Because they're usually like these one-on-one matchups that are getting us in trouble. Right. And, you know, really, I think that's a, I, I really like the, the lineup that we have. I like, like you said, you know, can we, can we match up against teams when they have pace? I, I think the answer is yes, but we've got to be healthy. And I think that's maybe the challenge that, you know, Troy and the coaching staff is having is, you know, how do we keep the team, you know, the way they've, they brought in players for a certain scheme and all of a sudden we're not healthy. So how can we adjust so we can keep up with the pace of opposing teams? But at the same time, how can we be true to who they want United to be as a team? Um, and, you know, honestly, I look at some teams out there and there's kind of two different competing philosophies. You know, you attack on the wings and, you know, take the ball to the center or you just have big guys and you take them straight down the gut you know, pass to the wings and put it back into the center. And right now, we're just not a team that's going to be able to take it down the gut, you know, maybe like some of these other teams can. So it definitely presents a huge challenge, I think, uh, for the coaching staff. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. Look, Harry Swartz out right now, and right. You know, he was a guy who was brought in for that three five two. He played, you know, as a winger. I mean, oh yeah, we've used him. He was we we saw him be very impactful in the beginning, you know, on the, on that side, you know. Um, so that has led us more to like Bruce and Suggs, or or even Najum at times, you know, playing playing those wings. Um, then of course, look at Sergio Rivas. Like he's not typically played up top like that. We've had him more as either like an attacking mid or a defensive mid, right? And so, you know, that's a lot more of that sort of like what I like to call like Troy's machine shop happening where we're moving guys around and we're we're manufacturing these positions um, for guys to play in. And I mean, you know, it's not like it's going to be like the back of their hand. And I mean, again, to your other point, you know, as we're bringing in guys, it's like we're bringing in, we bring in Salim Muhammad, who's coming back to the team. And, you know, he's played pretty much a holding mid, but as we saw last season, I mean, they use them as a center back, you know, at times. Yeah. And, and that was such a brand new position to him, you know, let alone, you know, he's also, taken up like a little knock and in, in training. So he's not available this week. He will probably they say he's probably not available until next week. So we won't necessarily see the return of, of investment of bringing him back until like another week out. Right. And I mean, you look at the first and second season, you know, Troy got coach of the year in season two being on the road. Um, but both of those seasons, we saw our success with strong, wings on defense and midfield and you know really you, you mentioned um you mentioned you know some of the injuries that we've had and i'm looking at like sam hamilton you know he's a defender but he his vision is great you know he could go from midfield to um even as a as a winger on a forward and get those crosses in that were key um but more than that is just his creativity um, and then also, like, you know, you mentioned um, Kalen Ryden being out. How many times have we seen Kalen, you know, take that ball middle of the backfield, you know, and send Suggs up the wing or send another player up the wing? Right. And, you know, we've had great defense this year. Um, you know, I love Justin Schmidt, but at the same time, he just doesn't have that same vision. Uh, that I think Troy was really depending on, you know, for this team to really excel um, throughout the course of the season when we have all these players out. Um, yeah, I think I think Harry Schwartz, you know, look back at the first two or three games we had, um, and he was the creativity that he had, the emotion that he brought, um, just the vision that he brought the whole team and you get a player like that playing at such a higher level to creativity and it just draws the other team out of position. And I think that's really what we're missing now. Yeah. I think you, you I think you bring up a good point. I, as you were talking about that, I was, I was, um, I was remembering what I thought about Harry Swartz. I, I, when I first swore it, I thought, okay, like he might be another position like Daniel Bruce. Like I thought, okay, we have another guy who can kind of come in you know, kind of sparked the lineup up, not really sure like where his identity lies within the lineup, so to say. And then like all of a sudden um, I saw him when he was like, you know, sending crosses 
into like the attacking third. And I thought, oh wait, like maybe maybe Harry Swartz might be a little bit of what we're lacking from Chris Weehan. You know, someone who can send balls in, kind of spark the attack, you know, and that's what I started seeing. And, you know, I started to kind of accept it as that. And I'm thinking now, man, like what would it be like to have Harry Swartz and Weehan in at the same time? You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. because you know, again, like Swartz is sending balls in, he's creative. Like, you know, I think we thought we were going to see that solely with cello and, you know, that's kind of been hit or miss. It hasn't been fully consistent, you know, and, you know, and again, like you said earlier, you know, to the point of riding sending balls all the way up to the attacking third, you know, like we saw back in the earlier match against El Paso, you know, like, we, we're lacking some of that, you know, and, you know, and so a lot of it is that some of these guys who rely upon balls to be fed to them, like some of those balls are not coming to them, you know, and, you know, and that's because we can't get the ball up until that attacking third, or by the time we do, like everyone's already up there and it just becomes this challenge of, are we playing too direct or are guys needing to move around and kind of create, you know, kind of create plays, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. You know, even I was thinking back in the past month and, you know, Suggs, he's he's just been off. <laughs> you know, that that's one way of looking at it, if you, if you look at the negative side. But if you look at the other side, it's like, who does he have to distract defenders? Who does he have to, you know, what is he actually doing to create those chances when you see him run off up the flank? You know, he's getting up there what, eight, nine times a game easily. Mm-hmm. But he's having to work, in my opinion, twice as hard as he had to, you know, early on in the season because he's creating from the bottom up those chances. And, you know, I, I look and say, you know, one side he's off, he's not playing as well as he could. The other side it's like, crap, he just did twice as much work as he usually needs to before he crossed it in. And then you wonder why at the end of the game his crosses aren't the quality that we're used to seeing from him. So yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, and a lot of it too is like anytime he was making runs up the left side of the pitch, a lot of the times the guys never saw him, or by the time they saw him, it was like it was too late. Now all of a sudden he had coverage because there are a lot of times when he's like, it's like I'm like, wow, he's in a space where he's wide open. If they could only switch the pitch fast enough, get it to him. Oh yeah, you know he would be able to really draw defenders over and then create some things that happen in the middle. But by the time they recognize him or had started to realize he was making those runs, they, the other team has made the adjustments. And, you know, then that opportunity has kind of gone away. So it's like it's like players get so familiar with what sides of the pitch they're on. Like the players who run up the right side typically are only looking for the players who are central or like to the right side of them. Like they haven't, like they like lack that sort of, okay, I saw Suggs, but I'm going to act like I didn't see him and send it over there. Like only certain players have had that vision on this team, um, you know, in the past. Uh, that makes me think about the Kalen Ryden header goal last season in Salt Lake. Um, you know, and I believe that was, I may be wrong, but I, I want to say that that might have been Estrada who, who saw him from afar and, and sent it to him. I believe that was the goal. It was like he, he had two assists in that game quite the same. Um, and so 
really what we're at is like, yeah, like you said, Suggs has to work twice as hard. Um, I think that's what leads Suggs to take the ball up himself sometimes on the left because he's like, he's like, I'm going to create this chance. Like I got to have to kind of keep the rock to myself and, and do it, you know? And, and I'm sure when that happens, it's like, okay, like, you know, it just becomes more of Suggs going for himself than trying to find someone else who's always open. Right. Right. And, you know, I kind of look at the season and, you know, there's a lot of fans calling for the coach's head. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's like talk about this. Let's let's get into this for sure. <laughs> so, you know, you know, it might be an unpopular opinion, but with kind of everything we've discussed, you know, my question is, is our team overperforming in the past six weeks? You know, basically mm-hmm. since July 12th. You know, July 12th was when we played Colorado State. We had a great 3-1 win. You know, everything was looking up and up, and then we just go into this, we just start tying every single game we play. <laughs> you know, right. various reasons are leading up to that. But, you know, the question I've been asking myself is, since that July 12th game, has our team actually overperformed? And I'm, I'm actually tempted to say that I think maybe we've overperformed based upon what's happened. I mean, you look at that game, you know, Sam Hamilton uh, went down with his leg injury. He hasn't played since. Um, Harry Schwartz, I believe he was out a game or two later. You know, they brought him in two or three games ago for, you know, 20 minutes, and then he's been out ever since. Um, Kalen Ryden's been out for, what, three, two and a half, three games now. Um, and right. with, in spite of all that, you know, we almost beat El Paso twice. And, you know, really, you come to the game of soccer, and sometimes, you know, it's who puts the better team on the field. And other times, it's just kind of dumb luck. <laughs> you know, and I, I look at these right. games, and I'm like, we could have won three games easily since that July 12th game. It would have been a totally different conversation. And, you know, it's kind of, some of it's just the luck of the bounce. You know, you look at that last game against El Paso. They had one corner kick, and somehow it just kind of screwed it in. <laughs> you know, can you can you blame the coach? Can you blame the players? You know, it's just it happens. And unfortunately, it's been we've been on the receiving side of getting goals scored against us, and we just haven't been able to get those goals at the last second against other teams. Yeah, I think that's a strong look at it. I think it's hard to call it for for the Saints job in this. I mean, you know, it I know it gets to the point where it's like it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I get it, you know, this is his third year being a head coach. You know, it's still his first like rodeo technically. And he's learning, but maybe not at the speed that people think he should be learning right and but it isn't like the team is going out there and they're not well coached i mean there's so much experience on the pitch like like you said like the guys overperforming we were we're we're getting injuries from some of these guys like go back to like when kaylin Ryden when we when they first played and El Paso and Ryden did everything he could possibly do, including like skyrocketing a kick when he was like in the air. 
to keep the ball out of the backfield. Like he did everything he could do. I mean, right. I'd never seen him so agile and he was. Right. And like, you know, it's like they're definitely leaving it all out there. It's hard to say like, okay, in the Phoenix match, does Troy go, okay, this team has a lot of pace. Like hopefully we can get them to fall into the offside trap, you know, like, like, Hey, we're, we're like, like, so I was rewatching the game and it's like, okay, we, they set the line really high. Like they had the line really high. There was definitely a lot of space between Tan Bacchus and where the back line was. And it's like, okay, as long as they're all in accord with each other, like there's no way anyone's breaking that line. Like there's too much distance, right. you know, but somehow something was a something broke down like in that 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 middle third in the back line it, it it you know i saw several instances where it's like a defender 1v1 with you know with a forward and it's like okay you're not like they're not going to catch that guy like the right. best thing they could do now is just hope for hope that it's not dog so and hope that they can just <laughs> have a professional foul somewhere because you know, there was just too much of that. And then, and then there's the thought of overperforming, but are we sometimes too reactive on the defensive side? Like, yeah. I don't know how guys still have the ball in the final third like that. Like, you know, in the Phoenix match, it's like there should be no guys, like, running around. Like, like I don't know how they do it, you know? And so it's, you know, but but again, to go back to the original source of this is like, Folks are like, oh, Lassane's got to go. He's mediocre. I mean, you you can't get anyone better at this point in the season. Right. You know, go back to the Phoenix game, and you know, I'm kind of like, what would have been if Ryden had started? You know, he has to come back at some point in time, but to bring him in the second half of a game against a team like Phoenix – He's he's going to be a little bit slow. He's not going to have the pace that he had. He's it's going to take him mentally just a little bit of time to get back into that game, where you know he's coming into a game where everybody's already been in that game for full forty five minutes, and you know I, mm-hmm. I like Justin. He's he's a great defender. At the same time, he just doesn't quite have the pace um, that Ryden has, and I think you know as I was watching the game kind of helped wonder how much were his other defenders compensating um, because he just didn't have the pace. You know, you, everybody cheats center a little bit, and I think maybe that's where some of that space was created. Um, and then you kind of have to go back to our right. midfield too. You know, in a game like that, that midfield has to they, – they got to play double duty. they got to drop back, and then they got to get upfield to support the offense. And I right. felt like – maybe their focus was just a little bit too much on the offensive side and they weren't getting back. And then it really is a game of, you know, how fast is Phoenix compared to, you know, where our defenders, you know, are playing, you know, going back to Troy though, it, it's really interesting looking at some of those last games because like go back to El Paso, you know, there's literally like 60 seconds left on the clock mm-hmm. and we did a short little corner kick. Um, I think Daniel Bruce might have taken it, and it was passed back to him in the corner. We ended up fighting for it, and they got a direct kick. And 
you know, we ran maybe like what five, 10 seconds off the clock. It's, it's easy to go back into a game like that and say, what if they had centered it to midfield, you know, riding or somebody wasted right. as much time as you could and just skied it over the goal. You could have wasted 25 seconds easily, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but, but the only reason we're questioning that call is because they just happened to get a corner kick in, you know, as time expired. You know, that's the only reason. And it's, it's kind of the thing that I see when teams kind of get in these funks, you know, for whatever reason. It's like you start going back and psychoanalyzing everything. But go back to, you know, year number one, year number two. How many times do we do the exact same thing in the corner and just kind of waste the seconds away and come out with a win? So it's, it's, it's really, you know, as, as the ball's falling, it really makes that coach look like a genius or it makes him look like he doesn't even know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, go back to, like, the first El Paso match this season. Like, that game was won. But I have to say, like, you see, like, the quality of an El Paso when when there's a set piece and then the guy's in the air and he heads it down to a space that only his guy can get to, which is still a nice space between the, the goalkeeper and the goal. And then he puts it in and to watch right. it and even to go back and see it on like slow-mo and go, Oh my gosh, this is borderline giving the ball to Michael Jordan who runs, takes a shot at the free throw line when he's got his defender off balance and it's just him and the net. And all he's got to do is just get it in. And like, oh, that's yeah. it. And, and that's basically like what we're seeing is in these final moments of these matches, like, you know, we talked about the very last El Paso match, like the ball just goes off of someone and then goes in. Like, it was like, what else could they have done? Like the time that the player concedes the ball into a corner, like we concede way too many corners against El Paso. Like we think kicking it out is taking the time away, but they're hustling to find the next nearest ball and putting it back in play. And, and so that's where I got to thinking, like, you know, you know, we listen to I, I listen to the weekly pressers. Troy says what they need to work on. The players say what they need to work on. Right. The training happens and then the players play. And it's like, at what point are these players accountable for some of the things that happen on the pitch? Like, are the players are is every player giving their ultimate best or are there times when the players take plays off right because if you're the player who kicks it like out of bounds and concedes a corner it's like okay shame on you if you're the player who gives it to a joey calistri on a run and the quality of your pass is like right into him and you remember last season daniel bruce had the same spell he would pass it gingerly through the backfield it was like, did this other team not cut the grass because the ball literally was like slowing up, slowing up, and it was like intercepted. And then yeah. it was a turnover. And it's like, okay, like those passes are a problem, you know? So I think to me, like, if, if, if not one person says, okay, Guzman, like you gave it to a guy, like who ultimately set up a goal. I don't see that as being Troy's fault, personally. Right. 
Yeah, that that's a good point. You know, what fault or what you know what effort are those players giving out? Um, it's you know, as a player myself, you know, not at this level, but you know, at the club level, there's so much that rides on um, confidence. Right. And when you're not winning games, you're losing confidence. And you know, I don't know what it is, but the last you know two or three games, you look back and you're like, how many times do we do like stupid passes in the backfield? How many times you know do we essentially give it away to play straight just to let them walk it into the net? Um, how many times have we, you know, had the ball for what sixty seconds in the backfield? And then the other team gets it at midfield and we haven't even advanced it past that line. So I, th I think the players do have to take a look at themselves. Um, and, you know, as they watch tape, it's like, okay, what predictable patterns are they portraying? You know, and how is that affecting their teammates? You know, and that's, you know, right. lately I've been a little bit critical of Guzman and uh, Tenari because you kind of start watching tapes and you realize, Hey, every time they touch the ball, 90% of the time, they immediately turn around and face our goal. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that ball that ball is going backwards. And even if they have space, it's like they get they get the ball and it's like, okay, it's going backwards. And you know, our opponents are watching tape of that. And so sometimes it's easy to say, okay, you know, our defense gave it away. But the other teams are studying us. And if they know mm -hmm. that's their tendencies, it's like okay, you know, you put the ball in the midfield and, you know, you cover your two wings that are going to take it up, let those two middle guys just, you know, pass it backwards. And as an opponent, you're completely happy with that. Yeah, and I mean, lately, so, I mean, I think I think we, we could both say, like, I mean, like, I just, I just can't see anything in my mind that says, okay, maybe the coach has got to go. Um, cause one, I just think that you're not going to have a better prospect for a coach at this point in the season Two, like they say, what do they say? Oh, well the assistant coach, it's like, okay, well I go, if you look at that assistant coach, when Troy was out, I mean, like, I mean, his record was definitely like kind of spread about the same. Like he isn't, he, he's going to have as much assistant coaching experience as Troy has head coaching experience. Like. Like it, we wouldn't be. I, I don't think we would be in better shape if the assistant coach just took over and Troy wasn't intact. Plus, I think it would probably mess with the atmosphere of the team to be doing something like that. So, I don't think that personally that that would shape it up because I, I don't know that the rest of the team could get on board that fast. You know, because these a lot of these guys are coming back because of Troy, right? Like they're coming right. back to this team because of that. Um, yeah. And then I, I look at the players. I mean, weeks before, weeks before it was, um, it was like, okay, Devin, okay, Devin, you know, he shouldn't play a full ninety minutes. He should just play for twenty minutes. But then he gets he gets that header goal. Uh, on what is that? I think Meow Wolf Night, I believe. And yeah. it's like, okay, you know, everyone's satisfied again, you know, and it really came down to someone needs to feed him the ball or, 
you know, Moreno came back from a stint being away with El Salvador. He got after the ball a little bit. Like they liked people liked his energy. Maybe it didn't necessarily produce as many goals, but no one has been on him. You know, um, you know, Weehan is back and you know, no one obviously is barking up his tree because they realized that we were missing another person who could potentially score, you know. You know what I mean? And so, like, you know, people are now obviously focusing in on Guzman or, like, Justin Schmidt, you know, as they would, you know. And, and it, it, yeah, maybe some of that is warranted, you know. I mean, go back and watch the tape and you can see the quality of the passes as you and I are talking about, you know. But I just think to be so focused in on the coach, like, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that. Like, maybe if he's, you know, people are worried about how many times he's shifting the lineups. But to your point made moments ago, Troy's got to put out the best lineup every single time. And yeah. if guys who are, you know, who are fan favorites are not performing in training, then that's not who he's going to put out, you know. and Right. You know, so... You know, I, I think that I think that's kind of where I'm at on that on that issue. Um, oh, like thing I, I what are you having, what are you thinking? Good. Oh, so the thing I have to keep going back to is you know our bench just isn't as deep as we ideally like it to be. You know, we're not a major league team. Um, and so when we get these injuries piling up, it does affect the team. So, you know, go back with me to the July 11th game against the Colorado Springs. You know, what's mm-hmm. happened since then? You know, Sam Hamilton's been out. You know, Armando Moreno, he hasn't been injured, but he's basically been away most of that time um, with the national team, um, El Salvador. Um, we've had... Um, Harry Schwartz has been out basically injured since then. Ryden's been out for about three and a half games. And you start looking at all those guys, you know, one, those guys are some of the most creative guys on our team. Um, They can carry the pace. And so you go back and say, okay, given everything that's gone on since July 12th, just with the health of the team, you know, who could have done a better job? You know, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that could have done a better job. And it's easy to look back and say, well, if we had done this, you know, we could have had a different result. Right. You know, you look at all these games that even the ones we tied and you're like, okay, this last one against El Paso, you know, we had a solid game plan, but we took it to El Paso, you know, for what, 95 minutes, you know, that 20 seconds at the end, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you, you can't, you can't blame a whole strategy in a whole game on, 20 seconds because the goals are going to go in. And so really it's, you know, how, how are we showing up game in and game? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's easy to get mad at the coach when they made a bad pass or, you know, when the El Paso goal goes in, but kind of like you said, who are we going to get that's better? And then the second thing that I was actually looked to is, you know, Troy is able to recruit and bring guys in and, you know, he's on his third season. You know, really, when he came, he wasn't known that much as a coach. You know, so I, even as I look and say, as we get into the fourth and fifth season, you know, the sixth season, 
he's going to be able to convince guys to come to New Mexico better than anybody else out there. Right. Um, one, because of the fan base that we have, but more than the fan base, you know, the locker room that he's created. You know, usually when you talk about, hey, you know, a coach needs to go, you know, it's the performance on the field, but it's also the locker room. And I'm not seeing anything amongst the team or anything in the locker room that's suggesting that players have lost confidence in him or anything. Um, and from, so from that perspective, it's like, you know, how do you let a coach go just because you've been riddled with injuries and missing players that are playing on other countries' national teams? Right. I, to me, I think if I think this, like if if in these last 12 matches, Troy figures out a way if the Troy and the players figure out a way to make it and they can seal up the second or third spot. I feel like people got to get off their back. Just leave them alone. Let them do what they do. Like we don't need a supervisor in the construction yard, you know, <laughs> go back to your spot. Just watch it from the window. Let the people do their work on the pitch. You know what I mean? Because, like, at some point, it like that's that's how I feel about it. I'm just like, okay, like Troy's plan obviously seems more like a three to five year plan, like a dynasty that he's trying to make. He obviously wanted yeah. to have these players. I mean, I remember sitting down with Troy after the first season, and he pleaded to me pretty much in a conversation that he really wanted Santi back. You know, there was no indication. And later on, I had once talked to Kavon Freider and Freider had mentioned that he had never, he was not offered a contract like to go forward after that first season. Like there was not this conversation about them re-signing him. So that wasn't an offer on the table. I mean, that's probably going to be a spoiler alert for anyone who listens to this because Man, really put that out there too much. But like he really wanted Santi back. And I had almost if I could if I could guess what probably took place with that, like he didn't offer one guy who definitely could have vied for some of that money, and then you released some other guys. I'd imagine that they had a nice like bag set aside for Santi. And yeah. Santi had to then choose like a place to probably go where he could win versus just taking some more money. Right. right, you know, he had to, he had to <laughs> turn down something like money for like maybe like some experience and like for you know other guys playing at a certain level. So I mean, that was what Sandy had to decide for. But I, I venture to say I think Troy was putting together, you know, kind of like a Phil Jackson team. I have to go back to basketball again and think about just you know just something where it's like okay, hey, like this is these are the guys we're gonna have. I mean, look at what we're seeing already this year, like we're signing guys into like two seasons from now. So that tells me like, okay, if, if Troy has a five-year contract and I'm only gathering that he does, because why are you signing guys into the end of 2023? Right. You know, just if you're not going to be here that he's got guys, he's going to have. So like, if you started plotting the lineup, you're like, okay, he's got Weehan, he's got Moreno. So he's got his two guys right there. He's got Ryden. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, he's he's got some guys. And, you know, Salih's on loan. But what if he's like, you know what? Let's keep this guy. Somehow gets to the end of the season, extends him out to 2023. You're going to begin to kind of know, like, what Troy is 
you know, what he's plotting. You know, I, right. I, I think, I think that, I think everyone we got is good. I will say this. I don't think we have the best in every position. I think we have the best that we can get right. like up until this point. But I think that the moment that Troy learns the dark arts of what Rick Schantz or Mark Lowry does to build a lineup, the moment that, you know, he's, he's like, okay, let's spend some money because that's how we're going to do this. Um, then I think we'll see, we'll see that team that threatens like a Phoenix on the paper, right? Like, oh, yeah. then I, th- I think we'll see that, you know, but right now it's like, if, if you think about it, our team is, is built strictly on the guys that weren't getting a lot of minutes in the teams before we were in existence. Right. You know, one of the thing I really like about Troy is just that team attitude that he brings. You know, mm-hmm. and I was kind of surprised that, you know, they wanted to keep Santi just because at times he could put his nose down and be a me first type player. Right. Um, I, I think that's why they probably didn't um, offer Freighter, you know, an extension stay. Because especially at the end of season one, you looked at, you know, some of the things that Freighter was doing. You know, he's picking up a yellow card within five minutes of going in, even as a sub. <laughs> You know, right. it really, I don't know what happened or why, but it really, it didn't seem like he was contributing to that team play. Yeah, he'd score some goals and make some nice plays, but was he really contributing to, you know, a cohesive locker room? I don't know. But on the field, he wasn't creating cohesion just because a lot of times, you know, it was all about him and he ends up with a yellow card and then you have, you know, three minutes of the game that's been stopped because he's in the middle of something. <laughs> You know, that, that can be a good thing. That can, that can be a bad thing too. You know, you can use those distractions when the other team is getting in rhythm, but it seemed like when Fredder went in, it was just kind of a, Hey, I'm just going to do my thing and get a yell on. So from, from that aspect, I really like the team that, you know, Troy has built now, you know, they all function as a team. Um, you have some very strong personalities, but for the mm-hmm. most part, you know, they're putting the team first. And I'm excited, you know, he brought Weehan back. You know, Weehan's one of those just unique players that he's small, he's undersized um, from an athlete's perspective. But he can clog that middle of the field. He can, you know, do a few quick touches and either feed or get a quick shot on goal. Especially, you know, bringing Muhammad back. You know, I'm, I'm, I just, you know, if they could get Schwartz back on the field at the same time, <laughs> Right. You know, at the end of the field, get Moreno back from his national team duties. You know, I really think we have a shot at ending this season on a strong kick because I, th- I think we're right there. It's just going to take one little spark, you know, get that next win, you know, get a little bit of confidence back. But, you know, after this game against Colorado Springs, we're done with El Paso. We're done with the Springs. We don't play like the Phoenix again. And so we got tough games, you know, to finish out the season, but we've already made it through, you know, the toughest games that we're going to have. And, you know, when I look at it, I say, you know, Troy's brought back these players because of that relationship aspect, you know, and, you know, even if uh, Muhammad's on loan, you know, for the remainder of the season, he knows the team, he knows the players, you know, he can just pick up with Weehan and Devin where he left off. And, you know, his creativity, 
you know, I think fans are going to just be surprised about because, you know, I think they forget, especially from that first season, you know, what he did because he's kind of overshadowed by the likes of Santi, by the Freighters, you know, some of those players that, you know, score the goals and then you forget about the rest of the team. Right, exactly. Well, and you know what I kept thinking too is like, what is it this season? First season it was Open Cup. Right. First season it was it was the Open Cup and and we were going further in the competition so we were starting to lose position in the league table. Second year was the guys can't play at home and so therefore you know they're definitely probably getting disenfranchised that you know every week every game they're on the road like you know I I begin to think like this year like did they bring forward any ritual from last season? Like last year they were in lockdown. They couldn't do a lot. You didn't see social media pictures of them going on hikes and, you know, and doing all this fun, lavish stuff that they're doing this year. You know, they were just, they were bonded really quick as a team. They were gelled after literally like four to five weeks because they had no choice. And I just wonder like when they came back into the season and it had some regularities did they go, okay, cool, that was cool. Like, I mean, literally, like, what? Troy Lassane brought in um, someone who worked with the Toronto Blue Jays on, like, how to keep things, like, like copacetic because you're away from your home the whole time. Like, right. like you know, like, he went out of his way to go grab an advisor for that. Like, and right. I'm just thinking, like, you know, some of the best newer traditions are formed out of some sort of traumatic event. You know, and I wonder if they just went strictly back to like, okay, cool, everything's good. We can just, whatever we were doing in year two, just forget it. Let's go back to a year one mentality. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because like they, like, I mean, I've definitely tried to ask that in a couple pressers and it just doesn't seem like they really brought any of the psychosis forward, you know, Mm -hmm. anything to kind of, you know, kind of keep them in front and, and I think where they're at now is they're in a place now like they're in in the first season where it was like last six games, if you want to get in, like you got to do something. And oh, yeah. and um, every week at the press conference, it was, we're feeling good. We've got this in our hands. Like we control our own destiny. Like every week they kept that, they kept that mentality until literally the last game. And then it was like, it was like, oh yeah, we we knew at halftime we were gonna get in the play-in match, and it's like, man, but you had like, you had like six weeks prior to this play-in match where you really could have prevented the play-in match from right. ever happening, and so I thought like, okay, well we don't, it's not Open Cup that we have this year, and it's not that they can't play at home this year, you know, so this must be a little bit of Moreno is playing national duty. You know, maybe that's a little bit of what we're dealing with. Maybe we didn't have the next man up, really. Like, you know, situations like Amondo's out. We didn't have Weehan. Right. You didn't really. You're not really seeing like another scorer step up, right? Like, no one to feed Devin the balls. Sergio Rivas wasn't necessarily becoming the man. Like, so you kind of back to a team trying to find its identity. Right. You know, and so now we hope that all of it 
um, kind of gets thrown together and then it comes away fine. Um, so speaking of upgrades, like how have you enjoyed Tanari, Najem, Weehan uh, being back with the team? I know we were kind of alluding to it, but I mean, how have you enjoyed these upgrades uh, at the times that they were coming? Like did that for you, like, do you feel like gave us like something or do you feel like, like it didn't really? You know, I think it, it's like you were saying, it's kind of, it's easy to get down on Tanari and uh, Najim just because they haven't been showing that they can push the ball up the field. And like, as Nagy. much as, yeah, as, as much as we want them to. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, you know, for, and for me, as I kind of look at it, I'm looking and saying, you know, we need to control the ball in the midfield, what is it going to take? Um, and, you know, I think, you know, maybe creativity is uh, some of that answer, you know, where, you know, we do pass it back into the backfield at times. We do take it forward at times. And other times it's simply just, you know, showing the ball with your body and moving it up the field. <laughs> um, right. And I'm not sure if they have the size or the strength to do that. You know, it's, it's kind of like when they're playing good, nobody criticizes them, but when we're playing bad, it's kind of like, okay, what, what do we need? And I think that's maybe this, the thing that I've noticed is, you know, midfield's that unique position that you need to control the ball, but you look at the size of our midfield and it's, it's pretty undersized compared to a lot of the opponents that we're playing. And so, you know, as players themselves, they just haven't maybe created that spark that I was expecting. Mm -hmm. um, but you know when he brought in Weehan uh, a few weeks ago it's almost like the whole team just kind of lit up like they knew something was back and every time Weehan got the ball you could kind of see players just liven up you know they're getting into position they're moving just a little bit better and I think a lot of that you know is because Weehan's moving the ball too and so kind of you know as, as we look to the games going forward and just these players that have been brought in, it's like, can they feed off of, you know, the Chris Weehan type mentality, you know? And so I'm really interested as he settles in, in these next few games, um, he's been back, what, I think a game and a half he's played, yeah. um, you know, as they really settle in, can he, in a sense, pull everybody else around him to perform in a different way, you know, or is, are going to see him as an option to pass the ball upfield. And, you know, you know, to look at it from Tanari's perspective, who has he had to pass the ball upfield? You know, Devin's, he's a, he's a big presence, but he's also drawing, you know, two defenders a lot of the times. You know, he hasn't really had the streaky players who are streaking up the field to pass to right. him. And if he's not a true position guy himself, he's kind of left stuck in the middle it's like okay pass the ball back because what else do you do with it and so i'm, I'm really interested especially with muhammad coming back um who's at least you know season number one he was a little bit more of a possession guy a little bit more of a had a little more creativity a little more of that vision we we're talking about you know can they pull you know the other midfielders out from maybe the slump that everybody's saying and so i, th I think that's the big question for me is like those two players that's up in the air, it's like, how are they going to respond to the changes Troy's made? Um, and I think at this point it's on them. You know, we have on yeah. the side of the bow, 
I think Mohammed was just kind of like, you know, middle of the season, your options are limited. Um, and whether Brown was hurt or whether he just wasn't fitting in schematically, I really don't know what was up with him. But I know, you know, Mohammed's he's excited to be back. Um, I feel like he can make an immediate impact. And so I'm hoping that those two players can kind of pull the rest of that midfield into something that we haven't seen in the last seven, eight games. Yeah, we've we've gone into this signing frenzy. I I kind of wonder if there's anyone else the team could possibly bring back. I mean, there's really not that many players. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like we've talked about Kavon. Like, there's that. And then there's, you know, there's even like Manny Padilla for that matter. You know, if you take away any of the incidents, I mean, Manny Padilla is currently playing for the LA Force and Nisa. So, I mean, right. you know, so a team has taken them up. So it's like essentially, you know, if if we're through the stint of re-signing old players that fits Troy's system, like if there's no more of that happening and then he has more to work with, more landscape, then it's just really about the players just doing what they got to do, like ultimately to make this thing work, work, um, out at this point. And, um, I was, I was fortunate to listen to today's press conference in which the, the main things kind of came out of the press conference was that the team as a whole seemed to voice that they were tired of being the almost team. They were tired of being the team that almost won or they did good, but this, like they, they're sick and tired of it. And I'm like, man, like, cause literally I'm thinking to myself, like, well, the first 10, around the first 10 games is when they started talking about how they needed to have a complete performance. Like it was almost about game six or seven that they were like, Oh, "Oh, we're not playing a full 90. We need to play a full 90. And I'm thinking to myself, golly, like we're like literally into like, you know, game 19 and 20 from game six. And it's like, that's 13 games of you finally getting fed up of nearly winning games, you know? And, you know, I, so I surely hope that, that, you know, that the team is, is hoping to host a playoff match at home. And I feel like in order to do that, they're going to have to win out their division matches and that maybe gives them the second spot in the division, but it's really hard for me to imagine them getting that first spot from the Paso. Right. No, I, I think I agree with you. I was looking at the standings and, you know, the teams in, you know, three through five, you know, RGV, they're on a downswing. I think they're on a four-game losing streak with a tie somewhere in the middle. Um, and so it wouldn't take much for us to jump, you know, two or three places. But I think, like you said, to come in at that second spot, I think it starts with Colorado Springs. Can we get a win? And if we can get a win against the team that's, you know, been hot, you know, they got Barry, the goal scoring later, all of USL. If we can beat them, then your confidence back is back and you go from there. If we get another tire draw, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot harder because all of a sudden you just gave them three more points to that second place team. And I think at that point, overtaking them is going to be pretty hard just from a confidence level, if not even, you know, the point standings, that's even harder. 
Yeah, I mean, draws on the way out is definitely not the standard anymore. <laughs> like right. we've had we've had too many of those, and you know we're at what twenty five points if we drew the rest of our matches now with 12 to go, like, you know, then we're definitely hoping for like other teams to do, to, to lose matches. And it, it's just crazy. And, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, this Colorado match, the Austin match, I feel like the teams that are sitting above us, those are all the six pointers really. Like right. those are all the ones that matter the most. Like, yeah, we should have probably won a couple of those, real monarch matches earlier on and maybe and those matches really don't do us much justice right now like but we can't simply lose those matches either right but you know we're just in a place where it's like we you know you can't we can't really drop any points especially the ones at home so going into this colorado match um what are just your natural things that you think we ought to address um, just looking at previous matches against Colorado Springs, like what, what's the evident or the obvious things? You know, I haven't spoken with the team, but I think one key thing for me is getting right in back. You know, we saw how fast the Barry is. And, you know, if, if we don't have right in back at 100%, you know, how do we keep up with the speed of Barry plus the supporting players that follow him? And we, we could double team them, we could put special attention on them, but then we just open up the wings to attack us. And they've shown that they have quality uh, wingers who can pass the ball in, who even can take it into the middle of the field and just, you know, stuff it down the throat of teams. And so really, I think, you know, for me, it really starts on that defense. Um, can we have a solid defense without, you know, without bringing our entire midfield back you know, and not having any offense. And if we can do that, you know, teams have shown, you know, you can score in Colorado. You can mix it up. You can um, get them off guard and you can score goals against them. But again, it's like, you know, it, it starts with the defense to me, you know, how solid can we be and how, you know, you want to be solid, but then you want to also, you know, give yourself as many weapons as you can on the offensive side of the field. Something else to think about too is that Haji Berry plays two ways. He does, yeah. He plays two ways. Like he has enough pace. Because I was thinking about when we were in Colorado and Brian Brown was trying to track down a ball on a fast break, and who was with him neck and neck? Haji Berry. Like, yeah, exactly. You know. So I mean, that's that's something we have to worry about too. Is that you know, is that Haji Berry is is more than capable of of turning directions and being you know being one of the lead men to to try to break down opportunities for us and you know and definitely not having any bad balls because he's you know he's just the one that can come in take something and run with it or at least put himself in a good position you know off of a bad pass so um yeah i'd definitely go with you we have to address haji berry we have to address uh mitchie and galena and other supporting cast because you know, besides the fact that Barry's got the most goals in the USL, like, you know, he's got a good, like, front core that that complements him pretty well, um, you know. And, and I think that's one of the things that the last time we played him, Troy tried to do is Sam Hamilton, very defensive player, was always getting high and playing Barry on that left side or, you know, as would be 
Hamilton's right side of the pitch. Sure. And, you know, but there were times when Hamilton was a little hesitant and would get burned by Barry. So then I think that that's why Troy moved him to the midfield in that game and had Tete behind him. Cause he's like, okay, well, at least we could have another guy back there if this guy blows by you. But of course, you know, that was a game where Hamilton ex- overexerted himself. He was totally on a side of the pitch that he didn't even normally play on. He was literally sitting towards the left of the pitch and he's normally, you know, on that right side. So Hamilton definitely tried to do everything he could do to keep, you know, Barry from, from being in there. Um, so yeah, it's really going to come down to what happens on that right side of the pitch. I mean, we figure Tete's in the back line, but it's whoever's playing on that right side that's going to have to be able to stay up with him. So, right. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a double whammy because if you think back to that game where, um, Hamilton went down, it was a bad pass that led to that goal plus the injury. And I call it like a triple insult. (laughs) You know, we had a bad pass that, Barry pounced on. Right. You know, then Hamilton goes down and then the go- the ball goes in the back of the net. <laughs> you know. So it's, it but that really highlights, you know, yeah, those bad yeah, passes. Exactly. You know, Barry's with that guy. You think about people and players that are super fast, and usually it takes them a while to get that steam going to get up to speed. But Barry, he just kind of he's fast and he just kind of it looks like he's just kind of loafing about. You know, but then he puts on those afterburners and he can just take off on you. And that's that's what he did on that pass. You know, he, he was just kind of hanging out. We did a slow pass and he just pounced on it. Um, and so I think, you know, one, it's, you know, keeping him the ball away from him in the course of play. But, you know, even bigger than that, I think it's, you know, we've got to limit those bad passes. Yeah, right on on that one. Um, so something we were typically doing on this show is we were casting out score predictions um, or on games or what we thought would, you know, what we thought would be an ideal prediction. And we've obviously addressed Colorado. We've talked about um, their personnel, their pace up front. Um, definitely talked about added as far as, you know, um, some things that need to coordinate together. Um, some, some players that we think could contribute. I mean, how do you see this game going Saturday? Um, and do you have a a, a player or a fan, a, um, a score prediction? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I really like Weehan this game, uh, partly because Colorado, yes, they're athletic, but they're also big. Their back line is, you know, they're, they have a pretty big back line. And so I'm looking for Weehan to kind of exploit his quickness, um, even if it's just a side shuffle and, you know, some quick shots to really, you know, establish himself in the middle of the field and to be able to either take that quick shot or he can make these passes that you kind of look back on tape and you're like, how did he make that pass? (laughs) You know, and if we can get a little bit of speed and a little bit of quickness around him, I think we can really put their defense off balance um, and put some goals in the back of the net. So I know we've been kind of like on a scoring slump, you know, kind of the standard is what get one goal and then we get, you know, a, a goal scored against us. But it really, I, I want to say this game is going to be, we're going to have a three goal game 
and Colorado State or Colorado, I mean, um, is going to get one. So a three-one win. Um, you know, I if we're going to get a three-one win though, we got to have speed up with um, win. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm really interested to see what lineup uh, Coach Short puts up. You know, it'd be a gamble, but. At this point in the season, do we have anything to lose? I'm not sure what the answer to that is because you could look at it several different ways. But, you know, I'm looking and saying, you know, what if we put a Christian Nava up there starting with Weehand? Could could we create enough chaos in the first 25 minutes of the game to keep Colorado off balance, you know, to kind of throw something at them maybe that they're not expecting, get a goal or two, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of the game um, and get them panicked enough that they never really settle in. And I think that's, you know, if we're, if we're going to get a win, it's going to be getting them off balance and never really letting them settle into their game. Yeah, I like that. We're definitely, I would definitely go with, uh, go, go with you on that one too. I, I think I would also go, um, I would go with the 2-1 myself. I think that, the difference for us is definitely going to be Chris Weehan being back in the lineup. Oh, yeah. um, we we haven't obviously had Weehan the last three times uh, that we've played them. I think that will be the difference for us. Um, an earlier burst. Um, like you said, the, the pace is going to be much different. I, mean, I, I know we're going to see that. Um, I think that um, – I think where we're going to get them is, is – maybe on the defensive front, um, you know. So I, w- I would go 2-1, but I think it's real critical on the start. Um, of course, we could all say it's more of it's going to depend on, like, the the finish as well. Okay. You know, if the team goes up 2-1 and they're holding that out, you know, I would probably just hope, like, don't sub out the attacking players, you know, because the moment you do that, everyone says the same thing, which is, oh, we're parking the bus. And so I think United just has to stay after it for the full 90 or at least convince otherwise. Um, So that would be my prediction. Um, So, Mark, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to wrap it up for us and say, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of We Are Seek Strike uh, podcast. Uh, for Mark Essenmacher and myself, Chris Walker, uh, we'll catch you next episode and we'll see you then. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie-cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? 
Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.